0: We'd like to request your attention for some thoughts on the path. Those of you who have been here from the beginning will have heard this before. Um, It is my understanding that our contemplative practice has four indispensable dimensions. Um, This is an attempt at framing this in non canonical, non-Pali terms, and so let me try to make this as simple and as terse as possible. The first of these dimensions entails distilling of mind. The task is to pick the threads from wherever I am at, when I am confronted with a wild elephant kind of mind, then it is necessary that I learn effective tools to make that mind more calm, more peaceful, less frantic. The necessity to be able to modulate the speed, the complexity, and the volatility of, of mental phenomena the pacification of uh, the passions, all this is part of that first dimension. It's basically about settling the baby. It's about learning the skills that it takes for this particular mind to go from crazy to less crazy, to manageable, to peaceful, to uh, unified. If the mind is already quite stable and unified, That very skill would be able to take it from where it is with its relative stillness to deeper meditative depth and um, unification. But basically the skill means wherever this mind is at, in the range of situations I'm undergoing, that I can establish a realistic, pragmatic relationship with that mind and meet it. Begin, you know, like in the image of the crazy elephant yesterday, uh, being flanked by two tame elephants that match his craziness initially so that he doesn't feel lonely and then gradually talk him down by whispering gentle things in his ear. Assuming the wild elephant happens to be a male, sometimes, um, sometimes this is not the case. So the message, I think, for this first dimension of of contemplative practice is simple. Learning to pick it up where it is and have realistic, pragmatic tools to make it more peaceful, calm, pacify, tranquilize, steady, modulate towards greater um, depth, slower, deeper, Steadier. I do not see that you can practice without this. The second dimension is disidentification. I believe it's deidentification in English. Is that correct? Maybe. Yes. Maybe. Not <laughs> I, uh, I mean the activity of act- actively disentangling oneself. So non-identification would be the result of this. This is delightful, yeah. That a wonderful thing to achieve. But the actual I mean the actual doing, yeah. Acknowledging this is happening, this is not me. It has something to do with me, but I am not this. I can move back. I can in 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 a way not disown it, but acknowledge That I am not reduced to this. I believe uh, the the activity is called de-identification. Take moving back, the famous one step back, moving out of the object, out of the object, out of the object, acknowledging the object as object, and acknowledging that there is a, a field of awareness that is bigger than the object. Even if this mind is sad, this mind is capable of more than just sadness, even if this mind is lonely, uh, this mind is more than just loneliness, even if this mind is averse, this mind is more than just aversion. Having a practical way of doing this, when it ap- appears, even if I find that I have fallen into credulity, even if I find I have habitually appropriated the contents of my experience, that I am capable of acknowledging this and putting it down. And say, yeah, I really got some mileage out of this. Yeah, I've bought you many times. Yeah, I've believed you many times. Yes, I've run, I've enacted this many times. This isn't just something you know, unskillful people to do, or bad people do, or bad meditators do. The activity of upadana, of grasping, of attachment, identification with content is a major um, feature of all of our lives. And the opposite, namely the active de-identification of content, moving out, acknowledging what else is there, acknowledging the ground of the mind rather than just the object that stands forth in that ground is a major task. It makes things a lot more spacious, it makes things a lot more safe, and it allows us to move on because I can acknowledge that I have made a mistake. I can, um, I can This makes possible that I learn from this. This makes possible that I investigate what has happened. It makes possible that my relationships continue because I may be able to apologize. Um, if I do not have this capacity, then I will just have to insist that my position is correct. I will not apologize. I will have acted out. I will have not apologized. and It is unlikely that my fellow human beings will put up with me. Yeah. They will just stop being interested in me or avoid me. Or so if I have the capacity to actually de-identify with some of the stuff that goes on in my mind. I also will have the capacity to acknowledge that my motives may not be the best, or I've been taken over by an affect, or I was acting under the sway of ignorance, or uh, under the sway of a mood, or of um, unhealthy perceptions. All of this makes it possible that we can free each other from the image we've cast over ourselves. That's what we do when we care. That's what we do when we grant, when we bestow our attention. That's what we do when we love. And obviously that's what we not do when we don't do this, when we don't care, when we don't relate, when we insist it is more important that I am right than that something between you and me continues. Yeah. And we end up being right, Yeah. because there will be not more people there to disagree with in the long run. Yeah? And I am perfectly alright. Just nobody in that damn universe understands me. The third stage of the <coughs> of the contemplative path, or not a stage, but the third dimension is uh, understanding one's own patterning. Yeah? While the second dimension makes it possible that I can stay out of trouble by de-identifying, moving back, gaining perspective and in many ways that is what creates safety for us. Being able to not be ripped into things, being able to withstand onslaught, being able to not be threatened or roped in is a powerful uh, way of creating safety. I can be with this without this overwhelming me. I can be with this without this killing me. I can be with this Without being scared of my, of my wits, you know, I can actually... It doesn't kill me. At the same time, I can go away so far that it becomes manageable. I can package it. I can acknowledge it's, it's there, but it's not really my life. It's just a tiny part of my life. And actually, there are many other things. And that moving back creates a degree of manageability. Many of us would like lots of that. For many people this is meditation, basically going to a place where it feels safe, where nobody is going to hurt me, where I can be at peace, where things seem under control, where I am not under the gravity of powerful forces of wanting and not wanting. For many of us this is a psychologically quite attractive place and meditation often when people are talking freely will admit that this is the place they basically want to go to when they meditate. And, you know, this is fair enough. It's fair enough wanting to feel safe. It's fair enough wanting to feel good. It's fair enough wanting to feel in control. I have complete understanding of this. I have needs and wishes in that direction myself. I believe we need a certain amount of this. And I also have no doubt that this unfortunately doesn't make us awake. And it doesn't make us free. Just staying away... far enough to not feel the pain is not freedom. It just is what it is. It's I have stayed away from it. I have possibly simply dissociated from it. I have disowned it. And I may not acknowledge my degree of responsibility in it. So the, the, the third dimension is the careful, respectful, negotiated, crawling back into those very things I have learned to de-identify from, I have learned to go away from, I have learned to gain a long distance perspective on. So the next stage I need to kind of clamber back in. Knowing that I can stay out of, I can now allow myself to clamber back in and see uh, what does it do, how does it work. That third dimension is inevitably personal. It has something to do with your history, it has something to do with your temperament, your psychology, your upbringing, it's highly personal. At one hand, on one hand, it is completely personal. It's about your history, your parents, your life, your relationship, your expectations, your patterns, your temperament. And yet, obviously you're not alone with this particular conditioning. There is no thought that goes through your head that hasn't been thought by anybody else. Maybe the the other guy hasn't become famous or she hasn't written it down or published or made a movie out of it. But but rest assured, uh, it'd be very surprising if you think or feel or experience something that nobody else before you has ever experienced. So that third dimension entails that I look at my own history. I look at how do I do with contact, how do I do with bonding, how do I do with authority, how do I do with learning, yeah. how do I defend, yeah. what are my defenses, if things are heating up, do I go away, or do I go into conflict? Yeah. That's good to know, it's good to know the patterns of this particular mind, not because you are that, not because you condemned or cursed to remain that for the rest of your life, but. Without not knowing this particular condition, you know, everything you try to understand out there will be bent, distorted, filtered by this particular condition. And if you haven't understood this particular condition in some profound way, you will get the shadow of this particular condition to be on the thing that you experience out there. It's like having grubby hands. You know, if you're trying to, have, if you have grubby hands and you want to take up clean things, then these things will get messy. It's the bag of dog shit that you carry around, yeah, from the other day. And we, we, we do have to look at some of our own story. Now, there are virtues in there. Sometimes we are quite happy to acknowledge that stuff, which is unhelpful, as patterning in our lives, but we are not so. We're far less willing to uh, acknowledge our virtues or our strength. There are people who think that our powers and strength make us more afraid than our, than our weakness and dependencies. Because when we do acknowledge our power and our strength and our virtues, suddenly, you know, we could be held responsible for things here. You know, we could be asked to actually make things better here and here and on this whole thing, suddenly it could be actually upon me to make this a better planet. To own up for what's happening in that relationship, in my job, in my in my live-in situation. So sometimes that could be rather uncomfortable. It could mean I would have to throw in my weight. I would have to try to make a difference. I would have struggled for things that I deem to be valuable. I would have I may have to defend people who I see uh, more weak than I am. My power and my strengths come at a price. You You never get any insights. You never get any power without responsibility. That is what I truly believe. Any insight you get takes you deeper into a relationship of responsibility. You can't be totally free and enlightened and not care in proportionate ways to what you feel and where you're connected with. There is no clean, cool enlightenment and you just stay out of it. You know? The Buddha cared. He cared 45 years of his life, teaching on his deathbed, ordaining some samaneras, meeting out punishment for one guy, uh, exhorting people right down there with bloody dysentery, dying somewhere in the sticks on his way home. <laughs> and, he, and he's still he still thought of his community. He still thought of this guy who barged in, who Ananda didn't want to let, let, let come close to the Buddha. And The Buddha felt, despite his weakness and imminent dying, he basically felt it more necessary that this blundering young fellow who wanted to become a novice should be granted novicehood rather than let the Buddha be dying in peace. Yeah? So he did that. Right there, for 45 years, an immense amount of effort, care, giving, giving, giving. And not all of these people were enlightened. Not all of these people were nice. Not all of these people were easy. The texts, in their own terse ways, um, do leave us no doubt that there were some fairly stubborn folks around. They were up to all kind of mischief. Uh, He had to struggle within his own community. He was criticized by lay people. He was criticized by his own monks. Uh, there was, it wasn't all smooth sailing, you know, just put it like that. I see from the records we have an immense amount of willingness to put up for something good with people who had a very partial glimpse of that what that was. And he was willing, to the extent they were willing to let it in, he was willing to put up with them. Yeah, I find that inspiring. So back to that third dimension. The third dimension is understanding what this mind desires, what this mind fears, what this mind is frightened by, what this mind is inspired by, what this mind brings along as strength and as unwholesome patterning, as virtue and as um, uh, defilement basically. The a willingness to get grubby, it's a willingness to meet honestly, soberly. leaders, knowing that all this unhelpful stuff and all the wonderful stuff is conditioned, is something that I have a power to consent to or not to consent to. I can strengthen when I find it is useful, I can call into being when I find it is missing, I can at least not feed when I consider it is unwholesome and I can try to avoid when I know it is unwholesome and it currently doesn't happen. I can do this. I have a say in this. The fourth dimension, it's kind of moving out again. It's recognizing what I have learned in the third dimension in universal terms. You realize Buddhist teaching, early Buddhist teaching is not speaking in very, very personal terms. Although the personality shines through when we look at the character of the Buddha's male and female disciples, the the teaching is couched in non-personal terms. It's almost insultingly non-personal, isn't it? It tells me that this personality is made up of five aspects of experience. It tells me that my treasured personal individuality is based on Sixth Sense Fields and my reactiveness to Sixth Sense Fields. It, um, it parallels my liking and disliking to amoebic patterns in, in moving towards when it's nice and moving away when it's toxic. You know? It does kind of, it's quite insulting to me on a personal level, this teaching. You know, it doesn't validate me as unique a very much. It says, look, you know, it's impermanent. You can be besotted by some things and you get afraid by some things and you get calm in the middle and you can understand these things. And none of this really belongs to you. Um, whatever you make of it, you're not it. You can enjoy some of it. Um, you can be mangled by some of it. But, you know, ultimately, none of this you're going to take with you. Even the most refined stuff you can take in is laced with forms of unsatisfactoriness because you have a tendency to expect more than it is actually delivering. Um, Ownership is not really on the cards. um, And it keeps changing, even if you get it exactly right. You can't keep it there. So, wake up. Reconcile with this. You You can fight against it. You can teeth grittingly bear it, or you can reconcile with it and stop trying to make the rivers want to stop trying to want the rivers to flow the other direction. Yeah. Choose (laughs) choose your choose your weapon, (laughs) basically. Yeah. Um, I'm not stopping you to fight it. You can fight it. I'm, you, believing it doesn't change really anything, uh, but you can align yourself with the principles that underpin your phenomenal reality, and if aligned with that, with those principles, there is a possibility to be free, to be content, and to be happy. Yeah. This is what my two cents are on the topic. Yeah. So here it, here it is. Try it out. And then, if you're willing to try it out, I have some ideas how this could be held. And that's where we go into the fourth dimension. How how do these principles pan out? We begin to discern, in universal terms, patterns, say, of conditionality. What I now have understood in personal terms, my own history, my own family, my own patterning, I can now begin to see in universal terms. That means I can be able to recognize this in you. I can recognize this in you. I can see that wherever I look. I can see impermanence not just in this life, but I can see it in other people's lives. I can see it in the world. I can see conditionality not just in what brought about my successes and failures, but I can see this in uh, wherever I look. I see conditionality. I can see what are the conditions that lead to freedom, not just in this life, in this mind, in this psychology, but I can see that wherever I look, I discern the the personally understood message in universal categories, in universal dimensions. So, many ways, My life, again, begins to resemble everybody else's life insofar as it manifests a number of patterns. Some leading to freedom, some leading to constriction, some leading to happiness, some leading to grief. And I begin to see that from a calm and detached distance. Not disconnected, but detached. I know there are things I can immediately change and there are things that take a long time to change. I know things I can actively intervene with and do something about and I know some things just take time till they wear out. and Every amount of intervention will not fix it. So I want to read you a piece, this time from the Anguttara, which speaks very much about this, it's um, again a text I think that should be more famous. It's called ignorance. I'll write down the reference on the board if you want to read it up later. It's quite a mouthful so hold on to your mat. This is said, a first first point of ignorance is not seen such that before this there was no ignorance and afterward it came into being. Still ignorance is seen to have a specific condition. The term here is ida Pachayata. That's one type of con- conditioned arising. It is uh, the specific condition that leads to the arising of a specific result. It's not just that you know all things have conditions. You remove the conditions, the things disappear. Yeah. It's actually specific. There are specific conditions leading to specific consequences. I say because that ignorance has a nutriment. It is not without a nutriment. And what is the nutriment of ignorance? It should be said the five hindrances. The five hindrances, too, I say, have a nutriment. They are not without a nutriment. And where is the nutriment for the five hindrances? It should be said the three kinds of misconduct. That's body, speech, and mind. Technically, that's basically ten forms of conduct that are, um, in this case, uh, unhelpful. That's... Killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, three for body, then four for speech, false speech, harsh speech, divisive speech, and uh, some papalapa, idle chatter. Yeah. And three of mind, covetousness, ill will, and wrong views. These are the basic ten sets of wholesome action, if they're wholesome, if you abstain from the first six, um, and act, in fact all ten and they're, uh, they, they are unwholesome if you follow the, uh, these patterns and they, they are wholesome if you abstain from them. So these three kinds of misconduct are the nutriment uh, of the hindrances. It should be said... Um, the three kinds of misconduct are not without nutriment. What is the nutriment? It should be said non restraint of the sense faculties. Non restraint of the sense faculties too has a nutriment. It is not without nutriment. It should be said lack of mindfulness and clear comprehension is the nutriment for the non restraint in the sense faculty. Lack of mindfulness and clear comprehension too, I say, has a nutriment. It is not without nutriment. And what is the nutriment? It should be said, careless attention. That's ayoniso manasikara, the famous uh, inappropriate attention that brings about all kinds of things. In this case, it brings about the lack of clear comprehension and mindfulness. Interesting very much the connection between mindfulness, the distinction between mindfulness, sati, and manasikara here in this context, very clear. And what is the nutriment for careless attention? It should be said, lack of faith. Lack of faith, I say, has a nutriment. It is not without nutriment. And what is the nutriment for the lack of faith? It should be said, not hearing the good dharma. Not hearing the good dharma too, I say, has a nutriment. It is not without. The nutriment for not hearing the good dharma is not associating with good persons. Then comes the summary, which I'll spare you, and uh, then the analogy, just as when it is raining and the rain pours down in thick droplets on the mountain top, the water flows down along the slope and fills the clefts, gullies and creeks, these becoming full fill up the pools, these becoming full fill up the lakes, these becoming full fill up the streams, these becoming full fill up the rivers, and these becoming full fill up the great ocean. Thus, there is a nutriment for the great ocean, and in this way it becomes full. So, too, then it goes back to the whole sequence again, associating with good people, and so forth. I say that true knowledge and liberation have a nutriment. They are not without nutriment. And what is the nutriment for true knowledge and liberation? It should be said, the 7 Factors of Awakening. The 7 Factors of Awakening have a Nutriment, they are not without. The Nutriment of the 7 Factors of Awakening is the 4 establishments of Mindfulness. The 4 establishments of Mindfulness have as a Nutriment um, the 3 kinds of good conduct. The 3 kinds of good conduct have as a Nutriment um, the restraint of the senses. The restraint of the senses have as a nutriment um, sati, mindfulness, and clear comprehension, sa- sampajanya. Yeah, Remember the monk from last night, wielding his uh, goad and his rope. The nutriment for sati and sampajanya is manasikara, is careful or appropriate attention. Appropriate attention has as a nutriment faith, and faith has as a nutriment hearing the good dharma. Hearing the good dharma has as a nutriment association with good persons. Then the corollary reverses everything. The analogy does the same thing. This time, rather than leading to ignorance, it leads up to vimutti and true knowledge. uh, And thus, there is a nutriment for true knowledge and liberation. And in this way, they become full. So this is a little snippet of a pattern that I think outlines this fourth dimension of contemplative practice. It's an acknowledgement. You see none of these terms in there have anything to do with your subculture, your background, your purchase power, your skin color, your uh, the college or not college you went to, your age, your gender. None of these things are in, in any way Exclusive. And yet all of them have, in quite universal language, have a clear pattern of what the text calls specific conditionality. They lead up to. And it is necessary for us, when we have done our work in personal terms, that we move away from those personal terms and learn to identify this stuff that we are so personal and passionate and so... um, embroiled in, that we learn to look at this from terms that are no longer so personal. This is a great, a great boon when we can do this. It's a great gain when we are no longer caught in the dynamics, where the language of these dynamics already personalizes us. That's the beauty of this kind of teaching, of, that it depersonalizes us in very, very wholesome ways. While the lesson is inevitably felt personal, while it happens with particular people, particular temperaments, particular parents, friends, relations, contact patterns, tragedies, the message has to be framed at one stage in terms that are no longer personal so that I can understand the universality of this. Usually that seems to be taking some time. So, Look after your elephant today, um, practice and um, consider some of what happens in personal terms to you, whether you recognize some of this in here, whether you recognize patterns that are happening to you personally, but in, could be seen or held in non-personal terms. I'll put up the reference for this, it's maybe of worth if you read it again I will see people this morning and uh, won't be around for the rest of the day so practice on your own